HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy. Learn more at diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll, Lord. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul, though. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. I'm Souther Teague. And I'm Greg Benson. Hey guys, guys. welcome back to the studio. Uh, listen, Damon, I hear you've uh, uh, spent a lot of money on yourself. I got a haircut. <laughs> um, I, I, don't, I had a lot. That's of a hair. hell of a job. I'm sure. I'm sure it costs money. Yeah. <laughs> what? Are you, wait. What are you talking about, Souther? Um, I hear you bought yourself a yet another guitar. Don't say it like that, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get down no, no, shame I, him okay, like yeah, that. Yeah, so check this out. Okay, so it's, it's the power of radio, right? <laughs> but no, really what it is, is uh, it's thanks to the amazing industry that we work in, uh, in hospitality and spirits and wine and food and beer and all, all the above. Um, two weeks ago, we had our friend Craig, Vins- Craig Ravinsky uh, on the show. Um, from the Pathfinder, which uh, if you haven't tried it yet, it's an amazing hemp-based non-alcoholic Amaro. It's a lot of descriptors there. It's awesome. Uh, and you know the the description is like pretty spot on. It, it is somewhere between a Sfumato and like Ramazzotti. Um, but it actually tastes like an an actual alcoholic Amaro. Um, so it's it's pretty amazing. Like where we're where we're at now, where we're heading with a. Uh, non-alcoholic beverages but um yeah so greg uh you know he's been a musician for a long time and you know when we were interviewing him on the show two weeks ago uh he mentioned that he was from alberta canada and i had found just randomly i'm a left i'm a left-handed guitarist so it's really hard for me to find cool stuff um and i found this guitar that i've been looking for for over 20 years uh they just like kind of don't exist left-handed and it just so happens one was for sale on like this website called Kijiji, uh, which is like the Canadian Craigslist. And so it was like a whole ordeal trying to get this thing in my hands. But, um, you know, I asked Craig if he knew anyone, uh, in Calgary that could maybe help out with acquiring this for me and shipping it to me. So he asked his buddy. So like a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend kind of situation happened. And 
now it's actually uh, that guitar is going to arrive today in uh you know the bay area in california so thanks to craig thanks to carlson his friend um yeah pretty crazy uh but you know it's but it's also not crazy because to me this industry is extremely powerful um you know you could be in another country and ask you know if you could crash with someone that you've never met before in your life based on the fact that they they're a bartender or a distiller or a chef you know it, it we're kind of instantly bonded by this industry. So it's just an amazing thing. Yeah, man. It's a, it's a beautiful, weird future that we live in, but it's also like, it's also kind of odd because there are people, especially now that we're doing this remote and have been for the last two years, like there are people that I'll go to events and we'll be talking and I'll figure out who they are. I'm like, Oh, Oh, that, Oh, that's you. Yeah. You were on the speakeasy like three months ago, but I'm <laughs> only now for the first time seeing you in three dimensions. Like it's nice to right. meet you in person. Do you, totally. do you ever feel like people should have to wear their, uh, what do they call the icons on Facebook? Uh, there's a, an avatar. Your like avatar you, should yeah. to, you should have to wear your avatar around your neck so that people <laughs> can recognize you because that's the only way I know people is if they have the exact same face. Well, Speaking the rest of, of avatars, the, the, whoa, the, who's that? Yeah, the rest <laughs> of us should have to do that. But I think you, you, Lou, are uh, easily recognizable by everybody in the industry who gives any kind of uh, concern towards the worlds of uh, tequila and mezcal and artisanal Mexican spirits. Um, your, your, your face is your icon <laughs> and your voice. You have a great voice too. So yeah. Uh, uh, Greg, bring them into the studio. Yeah, sure. Well, here on a special crossover episode of the Speakeasy and Agave Road Trip, we have Lou and Chava from our sister show over here at Heritage Radio Network. What's up guys? Hey there. Hey, a we, pleasure we, to be here. Yeah, but is it a crossover? I thought you said it was going to be a double album episode. I kind of like the double <laughs> album idea. Yeah, it's kind of like a crossover double album supergroup sort of thing. We're basically like the like the the damn Yankees of podcasting, right? <laughs> right, nice. right. That's, that's, that's a forty year old hair metal reference. Yeah, for wow, you. dude. <laughs> because we like to keep it current on and the fresh. Speakeasy and, and Agave Road Trip. Because you two are in this with us now. Amen. <laughs> listen, I, I feel uh, pretty. It's pretty probable that many of our listeners listen to your show as well. But for those who don't, uh, give us the <clears throat> give us the elevator on what Agave Road Trip is. One of my favorite shows here on the network. One of my favorite podcasts in general. I listen to it uh, every every fresh episode. So, yeah, you um, you you gave us a very sweet shout out in the seven fifty uh, the other day and said something in, in that interview. In fact, that I had no idea when we were. Yeah, I, I was drinking, so maybe I didn't have a straight. But when Chava <laughs> and I were out there um, in New York and and we were hanging together, you had mentioned, I think, at one point because I, I, I during this pandemic, I, I I became vegan at the um, I would say the request, but at the demand really of my cardiologist, and uh, and you had suggested that I go to this um, this plant based Mexican restaurant around the corner. You didn't tell me that it was, I don't think you told me that it was your restaurant and that it was also <laughs> like this agave spirits bar. Uh, yeah. And, and again, kind of uh, not, not obviously not a hundred percent, but it kind of inspired by you. Um, yeah. So at area, I opened on fifth between um, uh, A and uh, B and what we do over there that links back to you anyway, that makes me just much more um, conscious of my purchasing there is that I vet all of the spirits that are on the back bar to a pretty high degree of, uh, uh, of standard where 
the minimum standard, of course, is sustainability in the sort of physical way that we think of. Like, are they using all the products? Are they not, not creating any waste? Are they not putting any bad water back into the system, et cetera? But then yeah. the next level sustainability for me is on the human level. Are they taking care of their community? Are they taking care of their employees? Are they, uh, you know, are they giving back to the world in some way? You know, I don't uh, take on any of the sort of carpet bagger uh, tequila or mezcal makers who just cruise down there and find a find a distillery that'll slap a label on a bottle for them. So, yeah. Kind of inspired by you and the Agave Road Trip, to be honest. Don't don't give any him any more reasons to have a bigger ego, Southern. <laughs> that, that is such a dangerous <laughs> thing that you're doing. And I'll have to live with that for the rest of my life. So you're making so much damage here. And I love this because we haven't even explained what the hell Agave Road Trip is. Every well, time you ask a question to Lou, be ready to have a 10-minute detour before he's able to ask you to answer anything straight. I mean, Lou, Lou Bank, the Dave Arnold of, of, uh, of Agave Spirits. <laughs> <laughs> you, I, I don't never get around to answering the question you asked. <laughs> yeah, I don't you think go. you're allowed to say my name and Dave's name together. I think he's he's I think he hates me. <laughs> I, there's a whole a whole uh, uh, Q and A thing that we did about um, about feet, and I think it just put him off. And uh, and we did it on air. That was the mistake. And now I'm repeating the mistake. So yes. like I'm just compounding okay. So wait, wait, problem. Lou. Before what, anything else, yeah. what the hell is Agave Road Trip? Can well, I I'm Lou Bank. Should, should I explain it. I'm Chava Perivan. And we do Agave Road Trip, a podcast, an award-winning, critically acclaimed podcast that helps Green Gags bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits in rural Mexico. Correct. And I think that's actually slightly mysterious if you're not familiar with what we're talking about. So agave being the plant that you use to make what people call agave, like tequila, mezcal, bacanora, sotol, and many other things not that so are starting to come to the market, even in the U.S. And rural Mexico being this uh, parallel universe in time and space that offers to you uh, just things that I don't think you can really find anywhere else in, in the planet. And that it's very close to, to gringos. It's very close to you people in or the green United gexes. States. Green gexes. Everybody, <laughs> every human, uh, especially the ones living uh, up there. And that it's somehow just being discovered by many of you. So that that's our mission statement, I will say. Right? Something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that sounds yeah, right. That works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway... You did uh, so. We're here because you did some shenanigans, and you also shipped our <laughs> friends here some uh, some liquids that I think that confused the hell out of them. Why Am I correct in this one? Yeah, but why? Like, I've never heard you use the word shenanigans before. I think that should be like we should have every month one shenanigan episode. I like that. <laughs> oh yeah, well, I, I, my my English evolves by the day. I was telling them that it's Art Week in Mexico City, and uh, I was just yesterday with a bunch of gringos uh, talking of various uh, different versions of English. So yeah, shenanigans was my <laughs> new adopted word of the day. Right. So so that so that that. Um, that evening I referenced earlier, right when we were in your bar, so there, uh, like one of the things that we we did besides drinking uh, was was talking about um, how much we love each other. Is that accurate? I would say that's <laughs> accurate. Yeah, yeah. And we thought we should present our love to the world in the form <laughs> of what uh, what apparently we're going to call the double album episodes, where we cross over, and we came up with a bunch of ideas that apparently I'm the only one who wrote down, but the concept, <laughs> like what, what, one of the key concepts was, okay, um, 
Chava and I are going to send you guys different spirits from rural Mexico that people are not familiar with that aren't commercially available just to really uh, uh, mess with with folks. And then you guys are going to make cocktails with the spirit and not knowing what it is. And then we'll come together and talk about exactly what we shipped you and, and what it means in the, uh, the, the, the pantheon of Mexican spirits. Well, yeah. wait, wait, a, I, wait I, a second, Lou. I have a question. Did we all get the same repurposed juice bottle sketchily sent in the mail or did we get different things? Because if I'm over here talking about like the notes that I get in there and somebody else got, I don't know, like 190 proof, like pure mezcal. And they're like, what the hell are you talking about? Are we going to be talking over each other? Did we all get the same mystery box? You got this. Well, you, it might be different actual plastic water bottles, but what's in the <laughs> bottles? You know, I, hey, I, I take what I can find. But Listen, what's reuse, in, reuse, oh, reuse, always reuse, recycle, baby. They're exactly that. And it's also the, it's not going to break in transit. Um, but yes, you, you each received the exact same spirit. Well, I think that this is you, you're, you're 100% right. This was the plan that we kind of discussed. Uh, again, yes, we were all drinking um, <laughs> at, at my bar. Uh, and I think that that all sounded well and good at the moment. And then a little bit of it got kind of forgotten and lost in translation. And I think I kind of, I blew the assignment basically is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, you haven't blown it yet. Cause you uh, well, hang on. Have you blown it? Like you each got so, the spirit. Did you guys make cocktails? That's the part I blew. And also, <laughs> uh, and also, uh, second making it worse is I, I accidentally left my bottle at the bar. So I don't even have it in front of me for the show. Um, I did open it. I did taste it, um, but that was you know weeks ago, and I didn't take any notes. <laughs> so uh, we're all along for the ride. Um, but but you know I'll make something, and I'll I'll make sure that I post it out on uh, on social so people can see, and I'll I'll, I'll file in with more notes and, and talking points. But let's talk about it. Um, uh, right you, on. You I think should lead the discussion because you have the information that none of us have, um, and you know kind of kind of guide us and and. Or do you want us to guess what it is? Yeah, that's that, there's that oh, too. You're- but I, think you know, no, but I think there's no fucking way. I don't think Lou would send us something that we'd be able to even get remotely close to. He's got his he's got his sources on so many unusual and unheard of things here. Um, you know, as he said, he sent us something that's not available here. So how would unless we've been there, how would we have found it? Right. We yeah, there, there's no there's I'd say there's no way you're going to be able to guess. But hey, you know, Damon, if you want to if you want to take a pot shot, take it. OK, uh, so, yeah, I would like to. In Southern, we have been there technically. So, yeah, absolutely, but like not as deeply and as often as he is, yeah. and, and Chavo yeah. lives there. So, fucking yeah. Yeah, so to me, this okay. So, just for our listeners, uh, visually, it's you know, it's in a reused uh, juice bottle, plastic juice bottle. Um, so, from what I'm reading on the back, it has zero grams of fat. Zero sodium. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's very healthy, um, but yeah. it is it's dark in color. Um, kind of cola-esque and honestly i get kind of a cola flavor from it but kind of leans into like the fruit of like tamarind am i anywhere Mm. close but i I would say with the backbone of mezcal you're surprisingly close that 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 is the cuestecomate right lou yeah but i would well okay yes Uh, and i say it's close to tamarind in, in that you know they're from the same country well, it's not like the same, same country, but uh, that the tree that grows the cuestecomate, it's actually like a, 
I would say like a close cousin of the tree that, that grows tamarind. And, you know, the textures inside the Cuesta Comate and the texture of the tamarind are not that far off. Oh, that's that's fair. That's fair. But yeah, but well, I'm, I'm really curious. Right right now. It, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, I'm really curious, though, you, Chavo. Then. When you say that the, uh, that the Cuesta Comate tree and the tamarind tree are cousins, um, is this a theory or did you actually do the research uh, 10 minutes before we started recording? I really wish I could show off and say that, but no, it just looks sort of alike. Uh, you know, when it, when you look at them, they, they they are similar things. They're trees. Yeah, yeah. and really, I'm judging <laughs> this based on. Come on. Uh, and yet, yeah. and yet, the panda, not a bear. Weirdly enough. Yeah. <laughs> I'm basing this off of like my consumption of tamarind jaritos. Uh, so you know, like that's that's all I got for background. Well, I, I would I would chime in and say uh, I didn't. I don't think I got tamarind. I, and again, it's a couple weeks ago, and I didn't take any notes. But I do remember it's dark and kind of cloudy, uh, as Damon said, sort of like a. I don't know, heavily brewed tea in color and, and mm. uh, um, texture. And then um, my flavor that I'm remembering anyway was more of the like when you travel to the Palenques and whatnot and they give you a little piece of the the cooked agave to chew on. It has this sort of mm. like earthy sweetness that's not saccharine in any way, but it's definitely kind of a sweet flavor. And then, yeah, again, a, a sort of backbone of mezcal. Oh, so it. so let's get into the the what of it, right? So Chava yeah. says Quasta Comate. Wait, 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 wait. But, but, but I also want Greg's take on this. Yeah, because, yeah, you know, like we're having like three very different, like I, I just, I always say that I learn so much of people and where they come from, depending on how they describe flavors. Because, you know, a lot of your literacy, it's shown by by how, what you feel and how you describe it. So I was just, you know, would love to have the the third take on it. Yeah, sure. Well, I've got I've got a little bit here. Uh, even though I'm not drinking this month, I'm tasting. You know, it's completely different. Um, yeah. I'm looking at it. It's it's brown. It, it, uh, tea like is the way I would describe it. It almost has a reddish tint, the way rooibos tea does. You know, I think. Mm. Um, on the nose, it definitely like straight up gives me kind of Montenegro vibes. There's a little bit of that kind of like vanilla baking spice thing that you get off Montenegro, mm. where you can tell it's going to have like some bite, but it's not going to like you know blow the back of your head off the way that first sip of Fernet that you ever had does. <laughs> and I'm just going to taste it again real quick. I will say this. I'll just interject real quickly. My, my great aunt Ida, she used to make apricot leather. You know what that is? It's other way. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah so it has, it has a bit of that going on too. Huh? Yeah. I mean, uh, to me, what I get is, and I and I cheated a little bit because I was remembering a conversation that you and I, Lou, had ages ago about uh, an obscure liqueur that I can't even remember the name of from the southern coast of Mexico that never makes it up here. But it got me thinking that there's almost kind of a, a raisiny sweetness to this. Mm-hmm. There's a sharpness Ooh, yeah. to it. There's a very kind of like Fernet Branca-esque, like a tiny, like a half second pop of something more medicinal. Maybe not quite menthol-y, maybe kind of like a, a sort of like a sarsaparilla root sort of thing that kind of hits you, but then it dies off. But the sweetness that I get off of it is that very like, what the fuck is this, Lou? Dry, sugary <laughs> Is it, is yeah, it yeah, raisins, which don't come from a tree. They come from a vine, for the record. I, 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 would, co-sign, I would co-sign with Greg and say, yeah, it has a little bit slightly oxidized, as I recall. So, so it's, it's, um, it's funny. I actually, I had almost 
screwed up uh, the recording session today. I, I, I had forgotten what I'd sent you. Um, <laughs> I literally, I was going to, there's, there's this beautiful um, liqueur out of Puebla that's made from raisins called La Pasita that I think, I think that's what you're referencing, Greg, mm -hmm. is, is yeah. a conversation. Yeah. And, um, and, I had for I, I had asked Chava to get a bunch of that for this event that um, that Big Star was doing in Chicago, and and my mind flipped <laughs> the two things, and I literally all of my notes for this session are about La Pasita, is about the the raisin liqueur, and on my walk, thank God I get up early every morning to clear my head, and I walk for an hour and a half, and on that walk, I was like. Oh crap! No, it's Quasticomate. At which point, I texted Java, thinking, "Does he remember what we did?" Um, <laughs> so it's Quasticomate, and mm -hmm. and and what is that? So, you know, when you when you travel through rural Mexico and you visit the men and women who are making beautiful heritage agave spirits, oftentimes what they'll serve it to you in is this thing called a jicara, right? That looks that looks like a half gourd. And sometimes it's tiny, like it just fits in the palm of your hand, but sometimes it's, it's like the size of your head and you, you travel around and you see this. And at some point, if you do it enough, you're like, what is this thing exactly? And what it is, is the shell of a Quasticomate. Chava, you want to, you want to well, pick yes, it up from and, there? And, and I, I, you know, like, Sometimes I think that we're so obsessed about agave spirits. Not, I mean, we love alcohol. I'm, I'm not gonna lie, but it's also because we have certain plants, certain fruits in Mexico and the planet that are, you know, like they're part of our mythology. They're even considered to be sacred. And a lot of times, these plants, they're, they're so highly thought of because they can be used in so many different ways. They are things that their roots, the the tree, the fruit, every part of it can be used. I, I can think a lot of like in Taiwan, lotus will be uh, an, an example of that. Here we have corn, we have maguey or agave, and we have cuestecomate. And the beautiful thing about this tree is that, again, every part of it is usable, mostly for medicinal purposes. So the leaves can be made for tea. Uh, the, the I should just I should just add too that well, everything in Mexico is either for medicinal purposes or it's an aphrodisiac, and sometimes it's both. Go ahead, Chuck. Well, it's it's I it's, it's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Medicinal purposes. Yeah, I, I, I felt that too. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe Biacaris considered medicine, Lou. I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but anyways. Uh, so uh, and, and another thing about Cuestecomate is like everybody calls it differently all around Mexico. So you can call it a uh, jicara, cuestecomate, or uh, guaje. It, depending where you are, they're going to be using different names. And if you go to some of the witchcraft stores, uh, which uh, that, that might sound a little bit outdated, but there's a bunch of them here, cuestecomate is a very common thing to find there. I don't know if it's for love potions or hate potions, but uh, it's, it's a common presence. But uh, in this specific case, I don't know where this specific tradition of it's not so much that how would you describe the process Lou? because it's i wouldn't say it's diluting it is uh integrating mezcal with the with the fruit uh, well, I, I i you know i think i think honestly this is kind of a you know it's it's rural mexico and i've only ever seen this in jalisco which doesn't mean they don't make it anywhere else but i've only seen it in jalisco but but having said that you know it's like everything else we see in Southern Mexico, where as soon as you say, this is how it's done, you're going to find an example of a different way. So, you know, the, 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 the recipes that I have experienced of Cuasta Comate seem to be 
the producers of uh, what was called Raisia, right? So, you know, you're in specific parts of Jalisco, would take their puntas and in There's, essence wait, make wait, a wait. Look- Well, what is a punta, Lou, for? Oh, uh, this is not a Gave road trip. People, Thank people you. That's a very good point. Yes. Even on a yeah. Gave road trip, we needed to find things. So it's literally the, the heads right. of the distillation, right? The high proof heads of the mm. distillation. And then they, in essence, make a sort of a liqueur out of it by putting the fruit in there from the cuasticomate, the very dense, blackish, brownish, reddish fruit um, into the spirit, and then adding some spices. I think this particular example, um, we were told, had like cloves and cinnamon in it. This was this example was made by uh, our friend uh, Esteban Morales, um, who is the owner of the brands La Venenosa and uh, Derombas Mezcal, La Venenosa Raisia, Derombas Mezcal. Um, and uh, and they just, they let it sit in there and steep in there, and then they strain it, and I'm guessing they add some sugar because- No, 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 no. I remember this part. Uh, he was very adamant about the fact that the whole objective of this, and I think that it was very fascinating how they were describing it, that it's to take advantage of the natural sweetness mm-hmm. of the fruit without having to add anything extra because it will kill all the complexity of the flavor. Ah, well, there you yeah. go. Well, so I remember no, that. So no sugar, but it's still, it clocks in at around 27% ABV, which, um, you know, makes it, I'm guessing, pretty standard for a liqueur. Yeah, guys? is that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, I would I would definitely say that. It doesn't have that sort of viscosity that a liqueur has. Um but I want to ask a couple of quick questions. The hikara, the vessel that you drink this stuff out of and that the fruit itself comes from, I'm, I feel certain no matter where we've been in Mexico, we've drank out of those and not necessarily this mm-hmm. juice. Is that common? Uh, well, yes, absolutely. Because usually you don't you do anything out of the pulp. You just basically take the hikara, you cut it, and the pulp is sort of wasted because it's, you cannot is- just eat it. This is actually it's one of the conversations Chava and I had yeah. where I I I won, which is rare for me. But <laughs> Ch- Chava told me, "No, you can't consume the Cuasticomate. It gives you explosive diarrhea." I'm like, well, "I've been drinking it, and my diarrhea is not explosive. It's very chill." And you said regular diarrhea. diarrhea. <laughs> it's regular and diarrhea. I said, I said, <laughs> and I sent it to you guys. That's right. Fifty percent right. uh, chance this isn't going to have you living on the toilet for the next like two days. I don't know. Enjoy. There's there's some coasters in there too. So the fruit, the fruit. <laughs> I'm understanding here, uh, Chaba. The fruit isn't consumed uh, either fresh, nor is it consumed after it's been macerated in this product. The fruit is just uh, a means to an end. Yes, and I don't know exactly why. I mean, Lou is making, uh, he loves just to talk about bowel movements. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a favorite thing to talk about. So I'm not exactly sure why. I don't know if it's, uh, it doesn't hold nutritional value. I don't know if it's too bitter to be consumed. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I cannot give you an example. So would it be similar to like the, the fruit of like coffee cherries? Like, you know, how like they basically get discarded? And you use yeah. the, the pit for coffee beans, right? So, like, it's just kind of like a thing that gets tossed aside. Yeah, and if you think about the hikara, it was the be- the first vessel that humans used mm-hmm. for for carrying liquids and other stuff. It's like the first copita. the invention of ceramics. Yeah. So, you're, nice. you know, like, I think that's pretty damn cool. And it's also the most sustainable possible vessel in the planet grows in a tree. It's compostable. It, it's beautiful. It can last you for years. So I, I can sing my praises about hikaras for for all day long, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, I remember very clearly, Damon, when we were down there. Everywhere we went, we were drinking out of those things. And and yeah. as 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 Chava said earlier, they they can be as small as like a teacup and as large as like a, a soccer ball. 
Um, I still have. I, I brought one back. Actually, yeah. it's in my kitchen. I should probably transfer this from this really fancy, like 1930s crystal tasting glass uh, <laughs> <laughs> because it's it's. I'll take a picture for you guys because I've got the plastic bottle and then I've got this little crystal tasting glass in there. They don't. I don't know. Oh, they look a little highbrow, but... little highbrow, lowbrow, <laughs> yeah, right? Low, yeah. Low, yeah. Well, I've I've got mine in a coffee cup as as is intended. But uh, we we need to take a, a quick break here real quick in the middle of this conversation to hear from our sponsors. We'll be back to talk a little bit less about uh, explosive diarrhea and a little bit more about <laughs> Cuesta Comate. So stay tuned don't, for this double break. album. We'll be back. So guys, as you know, I am now uh, almost a third of the way through dry February, which I'm pretty excited about. Wow. It's, uh, it's been it's been a journey. Um, I have not been this acutely aware of all of my actions in decades. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of uh, a nice change of pace. I I like it. I really do. Uh, there have been times where I'm like, ah, oh, damn it, I really want like a beer or a whiskey or an old fashioned or a glass of white wine or something. But it, you know, it's nice to know that after this month it's there when I want it, but it's not something that I need. It's something that I can, you know, manage the space that it takes up in my life. And I've really enjoyed kind of discovering that this month. Did you consider it all just drinking sessionable or low ABV cocktails for the yeah. month? Uh, well, no, but there is a growing movement that we've been hearing a lot about, about no and low ABV cocktails. We've been talking about it a lot on this show. Lots of guests, yeah. Weeks and weeks and weeks, yeah. Um, and there's actually a great resource if you want to, like a lot of our guests, like Souther even, uh, make your cocktails and your guests a little bit more aware of the ABV of what they're drinking. What is it, guys? The ABV calculator that's at DiageoBarAcademy.com. So... Diageo Bar Academy has all these wonderful resources for not only bartenders and people in the industry, but just the general drinking public, honestly. And what I love, like, I love calculators. Uh, I get really nerdy, like, as a a bar (laughs) manager and owner. Like, I I love calculating costs, but I really lately have been loving the the ABV calculator at DiageoBarAcademy.com because you can actually kind of not only pinpoint, like, the different ingredients that you can actually use to make a cocktail low or no ABV, but you can really cater to a certain level of alcohol if you're wanting to go on the low category. So it's a really great resource for building something up. And Southern and I have both, uh, you know, we've decided, Southern first, but I'm, I'm following along with, um, you know, integrating our low and no ABV cocktails into the full cocktail menu rather than having a separate section. So everything's just on one page. It, there's no like, oh, this is the kid's table or whatever. You know, I'm air quoting right now. It, it's like, it's a great resource for really building that program out. So, and you're uh, going to list I, ABV on the, uh, you're going to list ABV percentage on your list? Yeah. I'm following, I'm following your, your, oh goal man. There. This is great. I really appreciate it. I think everyone should board. do it. I, I kind of do too. Uh, and a great resource again is the uh, ABV calculator. Super easy to use at Diageo Bar Academy. That's D I A G E O baracademy.com. This resource is free for all. Uh, so I can't recommend it enough. They've been doing this stuff for uh, 10 years now. Uh, the, compendi- the, the compendium of information that's available for free, I can't stress that enough, is incredible. So get yourself over there right away. Sign up for the newsletter uh, and show your work. That's D-I-A-G-E-O, baracademy.com.
And we are back. You're listening to the Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. And we are, I, you know, I'm kind of blown away by stumped, what we have in front of by us this right now. Like, it's, 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 it for sure stumped us, but like, I, I, I mean, I guess Chavez said that I got pretty close, you know, like, it's kind of like Tamarind, but also trade. totally not, you know, like, <laughs> there's some sort of like mezcal in there, I guess, uh, you know. I so, think, sure, I think, tamarind and raisin and plum; these things are all kind of like in the same boat. Yeah, yeah trees. I, mean, I think you can eat tamarind though. <laughs> the, the the difference though, like you can eat tamarind without uh, having the consequences of uh, explosive bowels. So, yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Now we promised we yeah. wouldn't do that when we came back from the break. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, <laughs> I um, promises no, made, no, no, promises no. kept, man. Yep. Yeah. There you go. So, That's like, our uh, listeners know not to trust us at this point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They they tuned out a long time ago. Um. But, but what's what what I'm getting from this, and I think what you're wanting to kind of express for us is that it, something I kind of like to say, like a lot on the show, is thinking outside the glass. So, like what we normally think of, I mean, like I'll tell you this, like I, I've been to Bordeaux before, at the city of Bordeaux, and guess what? Guess what they drink there? They drink all kinds of like a wide array of different vodka Red Bulls. Okay, they're not drinking Bordeaux <laughs> wine. You know, we drink that. So, like, what what you're really looking at here is a deeper dive into the drinking culture of a place. And this is something that is so fucking cool. And like, yeah, we didn't know about this, and we're the I, nerds that are supposed to know about it. You know, I I, I think you really hit the nail on the head with that. Yeah, uh, in, I love in, this in fact, David, because one of the one of the things that you see when you travel through uh, through a lot of places, but in particular now we're talking about rural Jalisco, uh, one of the things you see is that the ABV of what they drink tends to be lower than what people anticipate from heritage agave spirits. You'll hear you'll hear mezcal geeks basically mm. saying if it's below forty five percent ABV, I'm not drinking it. It's not I, authentic. I hear, I hear that all the time. Yeah. yeah, and it's and it's just like that. That is true for some communities in Mexico, without a doubt. But I got to tell you, talk. I was just in San Luis Potosi and Guanajuato, and they were saying, you know, we it's it's kind of goes back to what you were talking about with sessionable cocktails. They said, look, we like to before we have dinner, we like to have some drinks, and then we have some drinks during dinner, and then we have some drinks after dinner. If we were drinking stuff at forty five and fifty percent ABV. We'd Absolutely. be dead. Yeah. <laughs> so that you know, they'll like they'll have 32, 35, 38 percent ABV in this. You know, this in essence, while I'm guessing you're saying liqueur and you think about cocktails with it, this is a cocktail, right? Yeah, agreed. I think that what we're getting to getting towards, I've made this analogy in the past. Uh, we're seeing lots of folks using, you know, CBD and edibles and things like that, and all of them have uh, their grams of whatever, blah blah blah. So it's definitely kind of beyond me, but people know their dose. Uh, and so you know what to take and how much to take so that you can achieve the goal you're trying to achieve. And I think by adding ABV percentage to our menus, Damon and uh, Damon and I are going to do that. Um, that's going to give people the opportunity to, uh, to know and or adjust their, <laughs> know and adjust your dose for the night, right? Like I may want a 28%, uh, you know, Manhattan to start, but then my second drink might be like a 12% cocktail that's made with, uh, you know, some seltzer or what have you. And then, then maybe I want to go back to the Manhattan, but I'm knowing my dose. And I think that's quite important. I want to ask you, Chava, um, hmm. I know that in Mexico, lots of myth and lore, and you're always the, the voice of that on your show, Agave Road Trip. Um, is there an intentional way to drink this, uh, uh, 
I'm going to butcher it, but Cuesta Com- Comate? Cuesta Comate. <laughs> Cuesta Comate. Well, is there an intentional way? Like, is, it, is there a ritual to this or is it just a, a thing? Well, like, you know, I, I love actually the direction this conversation is taking because I believe that also this specific drink, it's a, a grand example of a very complicated cultural exchange. So even within Jalisco, even within rural Jalisco, you have a lot of different traditions that collide and, and create different things. So Cuestecomate is more of a very Southern thing. It's not so much, it's and it's more of a Majan, like from the indigenous community of the Majans. So the fact that it was able to travel all the way to Jalisco and to be combined with agave spirits, it's already uh, like... A, you know, like like a beautiful cultural exchange. The way that it's being consumed, and and this is something that I see a lot with this kind of, uh, if you want to call them potions, it's just ways in which people recognize that they can consume certain plants or certain fruits that they, I mean, I wouldn't say they only believe they're good for their bodies, but that they have some medicinal qualities and, and some, uh, I, 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 I don't know enough about the area to say that there's a ritualistic element to it, but it's definitely a strong notion that by drinking this, you're making your body stronger. Sure. I would I would say that a lot of that, over time, we've discovered that some of those things we considered medicinal back when they were first created turned out to actually be that. And some of those things haven't, obviously don't have an actual medicinal quality, but the placebo effect is there, so it works anyway, right? Yeah, yeah, and 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 I also think that uh, and and uh, I'm loving also the these terms of uh, how much can you consume and like which is you have different spirits for different occasions, right? You're not gonna drink the same thing during the wedding or during the saints uh, party where everybody's expected to to like get drunk out of their minds and and fight with a bull, uh, instead of like a nice chill dinner where you're just gonna have a like a slight boss and uh, and you want to go to bed right after, right? Because you have to to wake up at 4 a.m. to check on your fermentation tanks. So I think they have been very skillful at finding different spirits for different moments. And the other thing that I love too, it's like if you think about artisans in Mexico, they're the ultimate prop masters. They've been doing alcohol for 50 years. They get bored. They want to do new stuff, right? It's like, okay, I've been doing my 56 perfectly done, simple thing. I want to do some other crazy stuff. I don't know. Like I love to think of them as, as like creative people that also want to go explore flavors and and, and ingredients and, and other things. Couldn't it also just be the, the the theory that you've had in the past that they didn't create it, their moms created it? Oh, well, of course. Yeah, I'm, I'm so sure so many of the things, some of the most delicious things we drink in rural Mexico is because the mother or the wife of the mezcalero was like, I'm bored with your stuff. This doesn't <laughs> taste good enough. Here is the recipe <laughs> for you, kid. Do mom, this and be happy. Best. <laughs> yeah, of course. You know, I think what it all comes down to at the end of the day is really like thinking and drinking more globally, right? Because like you nailed it, like the thing that I think about the most when it comes to drinking and eating is the experience and the occasion and like the time that you do it and where you're doing it, it all has to come together. It's it's a full experience. And, you know, we've, I mean, I'll just say this as an American, we fucked up. We fucked up bad. You know, like we did. I'm, I'm taking this for the whole country. But, uh, <laughs> we, but you're like, going to need to be more specific. So no, no, we no, fucked like, up. I, we, I, we, I, prohibition I, fucked up a billion things, uh, you know, with drinking and, and alcoholism and all kinds of other bullshit that, that kind of like is on the fringe of it. But like, but, you know, the thing is, when you when you go to Mexico and 
when you go to Italy and France, like, you know, like you're, you're, you're drinking in a more sessionable way because you want to be there for that moment and have the experience. And it's just part of drinking, but it's not stigmatized. It's like something that is us getting fucked up. That's, that's an American thing. I mean, well, I mean, everyone does it all over the country or the world. Did, yeah, didn't Shava help me out on this? Like, didn't right. they have prohibition in Mexico as well? Uh, no, uh, they're, they're, yeah. no, that's uniquely they're, they're, American, they're, I think. Yeah, no, they, they, we had some weird stuff going down with taxes when certain drinks were stigmatized, like pulque or mezcal, because they were trying to give more privileges to other kind of drinks. Uh, there was a moment where there was too many bars in the center of Mexico. And by too many, I, I'm saying like in every block, there was more bars than any other store. So mm-hmm. they they had to close them. But yeah, nothing close to prohibition. Huh. Well, okay, then we fucked up. That's fine. Yeah, we fucked <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. I, I think <laughs> it's a uniquely American thing to we we economize drinking. We want the most for the you know, the most bang for the least buck. We we want happy hour. Economize have, is a great uh, way of putting it. Yeah. yeah, we want we want a happy hour that's uh, just maybe two hours long where we get basically half price. We get as fucked up as possible. We happy hour, and happy we go meals. home and we go home and pass out with a box <laughs> of macaroni and cheese. Where like in Italy or or France, even uh, it's aperitif hour, which is much longer. It's lower ABV. You're hanging out with your friends. There's Spain. conversation. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Spain, come on. So I think uh, it's America has just lumped it into as we do with everything, capitalism, sort of the economy of scale, and we just want the most bang for the least buck. Yeah, but if you think and drink globally, then that changes your experience, right? Like with this, I just want—I just want to hang out and sip on this. Like, the, like, yeah. I mean, obviously, I, you know, my, my my brain goes to like making cocktails, but at the same time, it's about experiencing it the way that it is, you know. And like when you go to Chartreuse, you know, you, you don't like you probably shouldn't think about like mixing, like making the last word with it. You're up there in the monastery, like in the the French Alps and like, you're, you're you're, like literally as close to God as you can get, because that's why they built the monastery (laughs) up there. And, you know, you, you kind of like, you kind of like reel it back and like, think about what you're doing and how you're doing it and why, and how long it's been done. And well, I also for, always kind of think like, especially in the case of something like Chartreuse or even any Amari really, or even something like this, uh, uh, Comate, I think, uh, you know, I can add other things to it and make a cocktail out of it. It already has a bunch of things in it. It already is a cocktail. It already is a cocktail. Right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No. And, and so, so there, I, I think when, when I was in your bar in Amori Amargo, I did not know that you could order straight Amaros. But I was like lucky enough to be by a couple that was ordering straight amados. I was like, I, I like, I was like, these are my people. I they, I like how these kids drink, and I was I had never had a like consciously drank amados in my life. And it was such a beautiful roller coaster of flavors and complexities, and and all of them were just capsules of of so much. Like for me, that was the perfect cocktail. Each one of those things was absolutely beautiful and was telling me so much about places that I don't know, that I don't understand. I remember like, uh, I mean, the, the guy that took care of me, he was awesome. I asked him like, could you serve me an Amaro that a cranky old man in Italy will ask for? <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, I mean, I'm really glad to hear you say that you, you got to enjoy Mario on their own. That's why we opened the bar 11 years ago. You know, a bitter's tasting room is what we call ourselves. We, we expected people would come in and just drink Amari with us. But of course, they come in and they spot one on the back bar and they ask, uh, ask about it. And then the next question they say after we describe this beautiful thing to them is, uh, yeah, what do you mix that with? Because um, that's the American way. Uh, we, we, can't leave, we can't leave well enough alone. Do you do you try to? I mean, this is the conversation that Chava and I have a lot with uh, with with hospitality folks. Is do you try to move them from the cocktail made with the amaro to just the need amaro? Uh, often, I will try and at least encourage them to taste the amaro as a one ounce pour before I make them a drink. You know, um, I always uh, use the analogy that uh, it's difficult to make chicken soup if you've never had chicken. You know, try the chicken yeah. first. Right. Try it on its own, see what it's like, and then see what you might want to add to that or take away from it to make a cocktail. Uh, but of course, sadly, you know, it's a business. So uh, I can serve you, you know, Amari. Uh, I think uh, our, our going rate right now is eight dollars an ounce um, or, or I can serve you a, a cocktail, which is uh, our flat rate of seventeen dollars. So, you know, and people want to come in and see us do that. So we, we have to do it. And it's hey, not sad that it's a business. It, it it pays your bills. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's still, we still reach people. We got so many, you know, fans and, uh, you know, really nerds who come in after, you know, next month we're turning 11 years old. Like wow. Uh, wow. I, I, I've referred to the bar many times as the bumblebee. Uh, it is not aerodynamically sound. Somehow it flies. Um, so like, we're, <laughs> we're super happy. <laughs> we're super happy to have people come in and discover stuff. But listen, I, we're getting close to the end here. I have kind of a hard out because I have a, a meeting to go to, but I want to talk at least briefly, um, you know, love everything you're doing over at Agave Road Trip. But Agave Road Trip is sort of born out of your, your love of uh, Agave spirits in general, right? And you've, You've been uh, leading the charge with your group, Sacred. Can you talk about Sacred a little bit? Yeah. You know, I I would say, well, we do love agave spirits, uh, and and it certainly started Sacred because of that. Uh, Sacred being a not-for-profit, and it's a... uh, uh, an acronym that stands for Saving Agave for Culture, Recreation, Education, and Development. You know, it, it, it was born from that. But the truth is, the the, the more I visited uh, rural Mexico, the more I saw what they're doing um, in a lot of these communities, the more I realized that the agave spirit that I love is really just a byproduct of this multi-generational wisdom that 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 I'm seeing in practice in so many other ways in these communities. So, you know, I, I, I think the best way to look at it is you're just you're just miles from tequila, which is highly industrialized. And you've got all of the tools and all of the knowledge to make industrial spirits everywhere in Mexico. And in fact, the, the government will give you the tools like the closed fermenters um, that you need in order to make efficient spirits. And a lot of these families will just use those as like like hen houses or to store their grain because <laughs> they believe that doing things in a pre-industrial manner is a way to get a better result. And they're there not for the efficiency, but for the better result. And I've seen that same mindset applied to localized problems that solved water insecurity and food insecurity in these communities. So what what we try to do at Sacred is we're very cognizant of the fact that as mezcal and tequila grow, there's going to be this incredible environmental pressure on these communities to change what they're doing because literally the the world that 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 all of us live in um, is is eating literally or drinking I guess literally drinking up the resources from these lands, 
And if we want to see these families continue to do what they're doing the way they're doing it, if we want to learn from these families, if we want to solve problems at a global scale like water insecurity and food insecurity, we cannot afford to lose that multi-generational wisdom. So we want to make sure they continue to uh, have the access to the agaves they need to continue their traditions. We want to make sure that they have access to land, to water. Um, and and so we, we, we look for uh, donations to run solutions, to create solutions in these communities. And the solutions are always the solutions that are suggested by these families. Tell us what you need. Tell us how we can help you achieve it. We'll raise the money. You solve the problem. Yeah, and I think something very important, and there's a very famous story about this, and uh, like uh, it's 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 in a book by Jerry Mander, who's one of my my big heroes. And there's this big meeting of very powerful government officials, and they go to a group of indigenous people, and they tell them like, "Hey, let us help you." And the guy tells them back, "Is like, well, you know." From here, we look at how your water is doing. We look at how your bodies are doing. We look at how your cities are doing. I think we are the ones that should better help you guys. We just need the means in order to be able to do that. And I think that's something that that people forget. A lot of these communities have solved many of the most critical problems that we have in cities or urban areas in the world it's just that they don't have the means to to teach us so i think like in in i mean we actually never had this conversation like this uh with this exact words with lou but i think what at least in my mind what sacred really tries to do is to empower these people to get us out of the hell hole that we're in right now in cities <laughs> if that makes any sense yeah no we talk a lot about building a bigger table right like and and Using those kinds of ambiguous words, uh, you can you can sometimes miss the picture. But that's literally build a bigger table, invite more people, have a broader conversation, and and have more creative solutions to problems. I love it, man, and I've been a supporter for a while. Um, listen, we are at the end of the show, but this is great because this is our double album show. Meaning we're going to be on the Agave Road Trip. Speakeasy is going to travel over to the Agave Road Trip, and we can carry this conversation on and keep talking about these important things and share what we do at the Speakeasy with your audience. And I'm very excited to do that. But man, really appreciate you guys both being on Chaba and Lou uh, from Agave Road Trip right here on Heritage Radio Network. So thanks, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Thanks for Thank having you. us. Which you know, the cool thing about double albums is the second LP. Is always the one that's more psychedelic. So, <laughs> so we'll do mushrooms before I'm in. Yeah, yeah. or ayahuasca or whatever. What? <laughs> yeah. yeah, like I, I'll just drink a little. You know, as you were saying, I, I know my limits. I'll just know have your a dose. Few yeah. shots of Greg yeah. will just taste <laughs> some more. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just taste the ayahuasca, not do it. Just, <laughs> just sample it. It's completely Spit. different. Spitting ayahuasca. <laughs> oh, well this has been awesome guys what a great show uh great to catch up with you guys thanks for sending this amazing spirit to us um we're we're gonna post some uh some stuff on our our social media about this too um as we like develop some cocktails but i also want to do my little high low photo for you um everyone's listening out there thanks so much for being part of our ride and part of the agave road trip so next time Check out Agave Road Trip when we, uh, Souther, Greg, and myself are on there for the second part of the double album. Amen. And then until next time, everyone. Adios. Salud. Salud. Hasta pronto.
So you don't shun the devil with your rock. Want more of the Speakeasy? Follow us and ask questions on Instagram at Speakeasy Podcast or on Twitter at Speakeasy Radio. You can find Damon at Damon Bolte, and you can find me at Creative Drunk on all platforms. Take a moment to write us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform and give us a star rating, five if possible. If you're visiting New York City or a resident, stop by the studio and hang out with us during an episode. Reach out beforehand to make sure we'll be here. We'd love to see you. And please support our show by visiting heritageradionetwork.org and clicking on the beating heart to donate.